Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. My name is Bill DeFilippo. I'm one of your hosts tonight, along with my co-host, Nick Polak. Nick, what's happening? Uh, not a lot. I'm not going to lie. I'm really tempted just to click mute myself and click and watch the Beauty and the Beast trailer right now, because I haven't watched it yet and I heard it's really good. But um, I'm feeling about as... Actually, I guess I'm kind of tired today, so I guess I'm probably feeling about as well as Trace McSorley feels right now. hey Yeah, uh, McSorley had a... Uh... He, he numbers-wise, had a pretty big game during Penn State's win over Indiana. We're going to talk about that game in a second. Uh, and we're going to talk about it with a special caveat, which is I did not watch anything that happened in this game until Kevin Givens knocked down Richard Wago's pass uh, late in the fourth quarter to kind of seal this one for Dick, Penn State. Dickie Lego. Dickie Lego's sure, Nick, whatever. Uh, yeah, so I have no idea what happened. Hopefully, Nick is going to be able to provide some insight alongside our guest for this edition of the pod, uh, one of our friends at Roar Lions Roar. It's Mr. Matt DeBain. Friend, Matt, what's happening? friend is a loose term. Yeah, I guess. Fine. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing well, and uh, it would not be an edition of the podcast without a, a warm welcome from Nick like that. Wait, guys. Penn State ended this game with 409 total yards. Yes, we're aware. I was Thanks, not aware. Nick. I was not aware. Sorry. Yeah, so Nick watched more of this game than I did. Um, but the difference between Nick and I is that I'm vaguely aware of what happened in this game. So we are going to have a really, really interesting addition to the podcast because two people have no idea what happened for the most part. Uh, but yeah, the first thing I want to start with, uh, with recapping this game, is I listened to the first half uh, on the radio. I was in Ohio and I was driving back. And on the radio, yeah, it killed the yeah, whatever, Nick. It and yeah, Penn State just <laughs> by the sound of it, Penn State just did not sound like it was playing good football at all. And Matt, I want to start with you like, why did Penn State look so bad? I think I was able to figure out what the answer to this was, uh, just by listening, but I want to get your take on this. Well, I in my opinion, there were two reasons. I think one of them is pretty obvious, and that's the, the injuries sustained um, primarily on the offensive line. And um, even the Trace McSorley, who got banged up a little bit there and left for, I think it was just the one play where Tommy Stevens came in on a fourth down and did not convert, and uh, then McSorley returned in the following series. But losing Paris Palmer in that first series just totally threw a wrench into um, you know, really anything they were trying to do offensively, I think. So it moved Ryan Bates out to left tackle, then you had uh, Derek Dowry and Steven Gonzalez kind of rotating in at his left guard spot. And it just totally, I think, threw off the offensive line. Um, and then you factor in at the end, um, Connor uh, McGregor going out, or Connor McGovern, I should say, going out there. At Connor the end. McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should have put him in. I don't know. That would have been that would have been a show. Give me my belt. That, but, was, such, uh, that was a great fight. So you watch the fight, but not the game. Okay, got it. Yeah, I, we, I can already tell that this is not going to be a good addition to the podcast because Nick is just all over the place right now. I'm feeling I'm feeling rowdy tonight. Okay, oh god. <laughs> but uh, to to back to the question here, um, I th- just when you shuffle the offensive line like that, and I think really the whole plan kind of just went to hell to start with, um, and then when you compound that with McSorley um, spraining, twisting, doing something to his ankle, um, very clearly was limited running the ball. Um, Really, the only time he really ran at all was, um, you know, for his life uh, on design pass plays. He wasn't really an option to to keep the ball in that that option play that Penn State really found success with. And really, as everyone's hit on 
um, in the last six games, that's really been the key to um, opening up the offense all around was McSorley becoming a running threat uh, to keep the ball on those option plays, and he really wasn't on Saturday. One, because of the ankle, I'm sure, and two, because the blocking up front was just really inconsistent, which throws off the timing of that play so much. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the fact that Penn State, I I know a couple of the points weren't uh, because I I believe seven of them came via the defense on that, yeah, on that fumble return by Torrance Brown, but the fact that Penn State was able to put up 38 points on offense, even though Saquon Barkley uh, had 58 yards on the ground and 34 through the air. So he was able to make a little bit of an impact there, even though 32 of those came on one catch. But the fact that Penn State was able to put up that many points uh, with Barkley having just not a good day and the fact that there were so many injuries, I think that has to really be a testament to McSorley. Uh, I want to say that that's also a testament to the fact that Indiana could not hold on to the football in the first half. Uh, I believe, Matt, they had something, what was it, like four fumbles or four turnovers? Three the, three fumbles and a, and a muff punt, which actually yeah. shut up Penn State with, with you know, like a six or seven-yard yeah. field. Yeah, and, the, and credit to Indiana's defense because the fact that they were able to walk out of the first half with, with four turnovers and only allowing seven points is amazing. That's like all, not uh, seven points, 14 points. All the credit in the world to them for that, but... Yeah, it's, like, this has to, like, we have to give Trace McSorley some credit for this one. We'll get to that in a second, but Nick, I want to bring you in, like, from what you remember of this game, what was, like, the reason, if there is anything outside of what Matt just said, for why Penn State looked so bad? Real quick, I think I should clear, I did watch the game i know i said before that i didn't remember a ton but i remember the game happening and it's not like i was like i was i was here i was watching the game so i'm not really as clueless. Inspire confidence for some reason <laughs> all right fine whatever I, I was here though rest rest assured i watched the game so um yeah i mean it's it was the offensive line that's it it all boiled down to that i sure mcsorley getting hurt and uh, kind of eliminating the read option a little bit was a big deal as well. But the lack of consistent blocking, I think, was the really the main uh, catalyst for the offense's problems. Um, but on the bright side, it forced McSorley to throw the ball a little bit more, which uh, typically isn't necessarily a great thing. But it what it did do is it kind of showed us that the receiving core is still alive and well. And it's... I mean, they... I mean, the wide receivers and Mike Gesicki and any other tight end that finds their way onto the field haven't gotten a ton of action. Gesicki usually is good for about four or five catches a game, but they really haven't been had a ton of action this year. And on Saturday, we had three guys over 80 yards. So it was good to see that they, especially Deshaun, it was great to see him get three catches, 85 yards. Um, so it was good to see those guys actually um, be involved in the game plan and show that they're still a difference-making unit. I think some people are have kind of forgotten how good our receiving core is and how talented they are. Um, but, yeah, it, it really the problems started and ended with the offensive line. And hopefully the week uh, in between here, leading with the Rutgers, now that at least they have their injuries identified, hopefully it can give Steven Gonzalez or Derek Dowry, whoever ends up starting on Saturday, gives them a little more time to gel with the line and, give Bates a little more work out at left tackle and 
hopefully hopefully that's something that we see corrected a little bit by Rucker in the Rutgers game and hopefully playing Rutgers inspires a little bit of confidence in him too yeah ideally I mean we we talked about this a bit uh, in the slack earlier today but the ideal scenario for Rutgers is probably Penn State's able to go up like 24 nothing in the first half by you know some miracle that happens and then you know maybe a cup one or two drives for the starting offensive line in the first at the start of the second half and then just take everybody out don't risk any injuries to any of the guys who are you know going to be starters now due to injuries and whatnot and just you know make sure let sterling get some run yeah let sterling gets a run let gonzalez gets a run and just make sure that by the time penn state hosts michigan state with and we'll talk about this later, a chance to make it to the Big Ten title game. The offensive line is as healthy as it could be in that game. But again, we'll save that for the future. Um, What I want to talk about now is Penn State hung 24 points in the fourth quarter after scoring 21 in the first three quarters. It's I mean, we know that Penn State's a really good second-half team. Penn State's offense gets potent in the second half and is able to hang points on just really able to hang points on defenses. Uh, But Nick, I want to start with you on this. How did Penn State manage to figure out what it needed to do against an Indiana defense that, again, walked out of the first half having only allowed 14 points, even though the offense turned the ball over four times? I think part of it uh, was maybe the Indiana defense wearing down a little bit. Uh, they they played great in the first half. They were outstanding. Really, the third quarter as well. Uh, they were fantastic. But I think towards the end, you could see you could see them starting to wear down a little bit. Penn State started gaining more confidence, hitting on some of those deep plays. Um, I mean, their touchdown drives. They had a 70-yard touchdown drive, a 74-yard touchdown drive, a 57-yard touchdown drive, and then the uh, the last field goal was just a two-yard drive after a fourth down stop. So, I mean, Penn State really went on some extended drives towards the end there, and I think that was it was partially uh, McSorley being pretty accurate on a lot of his throws towards the end there. Um, some deep passes, obviously the flea flicker was a huge play, but I think a lot of it was also the Indiana defense. Well, as improved as it has gotten, it's still not quite there, so I think there is a little bit of an element of them just tiring out a little bit towards the end. Interesting. Uh, Matt, same question to you. I think Nick really hit on a lot of it, but I, I hate saying this because it, it's such a cliche and overused, but I think this team just kind of believes that they're never out of the game where they've done it now three times um, you know, against Minnesota, against Ohio State, and now against Indiana. They've come back from 10-point deficits in the second half in all those games, and I think they just have this sense that they're they're going to find a way to make a play to get back into the game. And one of the things that, that they didn't do early in that game is they didn't take advantage of, of the opportunity. You know, they had those the three the three fumbles and the muff punt. They only turned one of those into points, the, the muff kick. And there was a matter of passes not being uh, completed, missed reads, just you know, little mistakes here and there that just ended drives for one reason or another. And I think they just started to make those plays in the fourth quarter. And the other thing I hate to say is is I think there was a matter of momentum too, which is one of those things I think it's talked about a lot, but isn't really necessarily a, a huge prevailing factor in, in any game. But I think 
I think it was that that long pass play where McSorley just took a monster hit, but hit Blacknell down the sideline that kind of just lit the fire suddenly. You know, it finally got them going. It got some energy on the field. Um, I think that was the play where McSorley got up and told the referee after the play uh, when he asked if he was okay or he needed to go out or needed a minute. He said, hell no. And, you know, two or three plays later, they were in the end zone. And That's so when they were was, down 10, too. That was yeah, a absolutely. The game. It was just one of those – it felt like all game – and it wasn't like the Purdue game where they were, you know, kind of lax, lackadaisical in the first half and, you know, just, you know, weren't really playing well. It was one of those games where just one little thing here, one little thing there wasn't – was was keeping them from from making a play and they finally made that big play and it just kind of you know woke them up for lack of a better term interesting um when you see a team come back from a deficit like the one that Penn State faced i mean Nittany Lions were down by 10 points with 313 left in the third quarter uh ended up going right down and scoring pretty quickly after that to take the lead. Uh, no, to cut it to a three-point game. Uh, and then down by three, uh, Indiana kicks a field goal uh, with the 11.06 mark to make that the lead. And then Penn State just went a while before it was able to score before, you know, hanging 17 points on IU in various ways over the game's final uh, three minutes and 58 seconds. So when you see something like that, I mean, we've talked a little bit about how resilient this team is. But, Matt, when you're looking for a biggest takeaway from this game, is it the resiliency that this team showed, or is it something else that happened in the course of the game that makes you go, hey, you know what, this is really, really impressive? Well, I think that the biggest thing that we've taken away from this team over the last six games has been the overall resiliency. Um, you know, three times in the six-game winning streak, they've come back, like I said, from 10 points. Um all three of those against pretty good teams. You know, Minnesota still in the running in the Big Ten West, so obviously we know how good Ohio State is. Indiana's not a bad team either. They've they played a lot of teams really close. They they played Ohio State really close uh, in Columbus um, in a game that was a lot closer than the score looks. So um, I really think it's just that kind of never say die, never getting too high, never getting too low. And I think as I think about this more, it's especially impressive because of the youth of this team. It's not really that. That ability to not let the highs and lows of the game get to you too much is pretty impressive for a team that's made up of um, primarily underclassmen. Usually, that's a trait you you see in a team that relies on you know juniors and seniors um, that just kind of don't that have the experience to know that you know you're, you're never as good as you look when you win, you're never as bad as you look when you lose. That sort of mindset, and all of a sudden, we're seeing this team led by sophomore quarterback, sophomore receiver, um, you know, all the youth in the offensive line that started to play just not really letting the, the emotions of the game get too big for him, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, and that's, you know, in this game specifically, yes, but also in the last six weeks. Interesting. Uh, Nick, I kind of want to go to you. Uh, if you want to say something else, go ahead. But if you think that Matt generally hit the nail on the head, well, I think that's that would be perfectly fine, Nick. Honestly, I don't really have a ton to add to what, Matt said. Okay. And so yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, so what you're good saying, job, Matt. Matt was, so what you're saying is Matt was right. Matt yeah. was right. Yeah. I mean, okay, but you got that on the record now. Okay, good. Yeah, I think coming <laughs> into this game, a lot of Penn State fans were were kind of underrating how good Indiana is. I mean, Indiana came into this game five and four, 
uh, with a three and three mark in the conference, which doesn't exactly make you think, hey, you know what? This is a an insanely good football team, a football team that we're really going to need to worry about. But if you go through and look at their losses, Wake is not a terrible team this year. I mean, it has that reputation, but losing 33-28 to Wake is, you know, it's not the end of the world if that happens. Like you said, Matt, the Ohio State game was a bit closer in the 38-17 scoreline would indicate. Nebraska, they lost by 5. Northwestern, they lost by 10. So they're going up against teams that are somewhere between okay and pretty good and generally competing to an extent with that. And I think a lot of Penn State fans expected this to be just like every other Indiana team. You know, they're going to play a funky, weird offense that throws the ball all over the place, puts up a ton of points and a ton of yards, and it's going to have a Swiss cheese defense that nobody can I mean, nobody can not score against. But that's not really what this IU team is. We saw that on Indi- I mean, we saw that on, a, on Saturday for basically the first half or so of the game, or even really the first three quarters. Uh, and then Penn State was just able to pour it on the end. But the big thing for me, and I mentioned this on the, at the onset, Penn State was able to win a football game in which it scored a ton of points and put up 409 yards of total offense on a day where Saquon Barkley could not get going on the ground. 33 carries, 58 yards, the two touchdowns. Uh, I have that up right here. One went for one was on a four-yard run. One was on a two-yard run. Of his 58 yards, one of them went for 21 yards. So, like he had 32 carries. Yeah, 32 carries for 37 yards. He had a bad football game. Like the touchdowns were great, but for what we expect out of Saquon Barkley, he wasn't really able to get going. And there are factors beyond him that go into that, but. He still didn't play especially well. In a game like that, you need guys like Trace McSorley and guys like Mike Gusecki and Deshaun Hamilton and Chris Godwin to make plays. And you need the defense to be able to keep Indiana from getting on the scoreboard and just putting up tons of points and give the offense a chance to win that game. And that all happened. And that was really reassuring to me because, you know, going forward, if Penn State happens, let's just say by some miracle, Penn State's able to make the playoff, even though it's not really going to be that much of a miracle if that happens at this point. It's going to be going up against some pretty good defenses. First, probably Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game, and then a team like an Alabama or a Washington or a Clemson or a Louisville in the playoff. It was going to need to beat teams that focus solely on stopping Saquon Barkley, and it showed that it can do that against the Hoosiers. So, that's great. I really hope that doesn't have to happen again. I hope Barkley is able to go for 200-plus yards and, like, three touchdowns every game. But, you know, that's that's not always going to happen, so whatever. Uh, next thing, I want to know what went right for Penn State. Again, tell this to me as a person who didn't watch the game, Nick. What was Penn State able to do to win this football game? I think it comes down to the receivers and the second half defense. Um, if you look at the, let me pull it up real quick. If you look at the score at the drive chart for the second half for Indiana, uh, 52 yards in a field goal, 28 yards uh, turnover on downs, 74 yards in a touchdown, negative one yards punt, 75 yards touchdown, negative nine yards punt, seven yards downs, negative four yards fumble touchdown, end of game. So they gave up a couple 70-plus yard drives. But against Indiana, I mean, that's pretty forgivable. Uh, so what they were able to do, especially in crunch time, I mean, after Penn State took the lead 
they gave her the the defense gave it right, right back and Indiana went up. But then when Penn again, this is a really up and down game if you look at it. It's not unlike the uh, Seahawks Patriots game the other night. Um, but when Penn State went up 35-31, the defense clamped down. They turned they turned the ball over on downs on Indiana, seven yards on their four plays there. Took the field goal easily, got the fumble touchdown, obviously, with Kevin Givens and um, or Brandon Bell and Torrance Brown, rather. So the second half defense, while not outstanding, they did what they had to do when it mattered most. But then, like I mentioned before, the passing game, just the ability of guys like Chris Godwin just to win their battles in the end zone. Deshaun Hamilton just to get open when needed. Mike Gesicki to consistently be there. I love, love, love that little play-action bootleg where Gesicki is just right there, like three yards off the line of scrimmage because he always has like eight or nine yards in front of him that are clear. I love that play. That's such a great design by Joe Moorhead as a way to get a guy like Gesicki into space. Um, So I think this game really... I mean, McSorley is great. He gutted it out, and he was a he was a true he was a true fighter all the way through. Still, uh, completed just a hair over fifty percent of his passes. Did throw two picks, so it wasn't his best performance. But that receiving core got up for this game, and without them, I don't think Penn State wins this one. Yeah, I'm gonna look into this really quickly. But uh, come on, come on, load. Yeah, McSorley. I've kind of come to accept the fact that McSorley, his game. And it's weird because coming into this year, we thought he was going to be the guy who he completes the short passes, he doesn't stretch the field. You know, Penn State's receivers aren't really going to be the big play threats because of what McSorley does. They're going to have to catch the ball and do a lot of stuff after they catch it. But McSorley this year, his completion percentage is going back to I mean, over this win streak. Minnesota, 46.3%. Maryland, 52.6%. Ohio State, 34.8%. Purdue, 52.2%, Iowa, 61.1%, and Indiana, 53.3%. And if you look at his yards per complete per attempt, he's heaving the ball down the field, and his receivers are just making big plays. It's kind of like we saw last year out of Christian Hackenberg, with the difference being, of course, that McSorley's game, as we've come to, as we came into this year expecting, was going to be short passes, accurate passes, things like that, whereas Hackenberg was grip it, rip it, and see what happens. So I've come to accept the fact that Penn State's probably never going to need McSorley to be the kind of dude who goes like, you know, 25 for 32, where he's completing like six or seven yards per attempt, and he is able to just nickel and dime a team down the field. But he's turned into a really good quarterback who is able to beat teams down the field, partly because of the fact that he has such a good receiving core. Uh, Matt, same question for you. What went right in this game for Penn State? I think Nick hit on a lot of the major points, and really more than anything, they just they started to make plays. Like I said earlier, it wasn't like it was a a, a run on you know tons of drops and, and missed opportunities, but the the chance that they did have early on to make plays, whether it was in the in the passing game or in the running game. They weren't taking advantage of it, and they finally started to. You know, the the couple of catches that Godwin had, big play to Blacknall, just you know, winning those one on one battles. Um, you know that they weren't winning in the first half. Um, and like Nick said too, the, the defense doing just enough. Um, play that hasn't really been talked about a whole lot. Um, was the fourth down hold um, down on the on the goal line or on the two or three yard line? Um, Indiana threatening to go up by ten. I think it was. I can't remember what point in the game it fell. Um, but it was another one of those kind of momentum shifting sort of sort of plays where um, 
you know, the opportunity to make a play was there, and Brandon Smith made the, the great diving play, almost picked the ball off, actually, um, mm-hmm. to keep uh, Indiana from going up 10. Um, I think it was 17-14 at that point, and they eventually went up 10 anyway. But it was just one of those, the timing of it, just kind of stemmed the tide a little bit, kept Indiana from going up 10 right after they went up three to start the half. Um, so not one one specific moment where that where everything changed, but just a, kind of a series of, of making plays that they needed to make when they needed to make them. Interesting. Uh, kind of the last thing I want to talk about with this game, uh, and we're going to wrap up this podcast pretty, pr- pretty soon after this, is just reasons for concern going forward. Uh, Matt, I know the offensive line is the big one, but is there anything else that really gives you pause heading into Rutgers and Michigan State other than the fact that Penn State may struggle to have five healthy starting guys who are ready to start and play football in the offensive line? Well, aside from the fact that I think the three of us are um, next up at guard, (laughs) should, should, should someone else go down injured, um, I think the biggest thing is, is, and they've done a great job to this point of, of dealing with it because the expectations have just risen exponentially in the last three weeks since the Ohio State game, but just dealing with all of a sudden now with Michigan losing to Iowa, with the upsets over the weekend, you know, likely moving Penn State up to 7th or 8th in the college football playoff rankings, all of a sudden this kind of joke that we started when Penn State debuted at 12th a couple weeks ago, all of a sudden this, this idea of Penn State maybe ending up in the playoff somehow with two losses is becoming more and more realistic. <laughs> and it was kind of this thing you expect from James Franklin, but within you know a minute or two of, of the end of the Michigan-Iowa game on Saturday, he tweets out Rutgers, Rutgers, Rutgers as many times as fits in a tweet. And I think just dealing with the overall expectations now where it's not just you know our website and Penn State fans talking about Hey, if these things happen, it's a potential playoff team. Now the list of things that needs to happen isn't that long, isn't that out there with everything that's happened in the last two weeks. And just dealing with this idea that you know what they they're right there, and to an extent, especially now with the the, the possibility that Wilton Spates out for the year, if that MGO blog report was correct about his collarbone, the idea that they need to beat a bad Rutgers team and a not very good Michigan State team and need Michigan to lose to Indiana at home or in Columbus to a just Ohio State team playing as well as anyone in the country, and they're going to Indianapolis for the Big Ten title game, even take the playoff talk out of it. It's just all of a sudden, in three weeks, the whole expectation level for this team has changed. And with a young group, you just you hope that they've, they've got their heads on right and they seem like they do, just you know, watching the way they've gone about things since then. But as the, the expectations and the attention grows you just wonder kind of how they're going to handle that. Yeah, Nick, uh, same question for you. Like, do you have any reasons for concern going forward? Um, aside from the offensive line, I don't think so. I'm really, really curious to see how Penn State starts this game against Rutgers. Um, because was, do you remember, was the Michigan game a 3.30 or a noon game? Last year or this year? No, no this year. That was a nooner, I believe. Have, so we haven't had an away game that was not a noon kick. Yeah, that's that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really interested to see what we look like on the road with an eight eight o'clock start time. I believe it is. Actually, the, the Michigan I, game was a three thirty kick. 
Oh, okay. Well, I well that was also against Michigan with the ungodly number of injuries. So I'm curious to see what the current team looks like against um, Rutgers. And I mean, it's it's gonna be pretty. It's gonna be a pretty raucous environment for as raucous as. Uh, oh crap! What's their stadium called? High Point Solutions. High Point Solutions can get. Um, I mean, I know a couple of friends who went to Rutgers, and I, they're having like huge tailgates, and they've talked about how. I mean, obviously, we know by now this is Rutgers Super Bowl. Like, they'll they'll be out for this one, so it'll be interesting to see how we respond to that environment. Um, it'll be a very different kind of road game than what we've had these last two with Purdue and Indiana being nooners after big games. So I'm curious to see what they look like. So potentially, I mean, this team on a road on the road against a better team in. I mean, maybe on the road for them even would include a potential Big Ten championship game. So I'd like to see them come out swinging right away on the road because we started slow against Purdue, started slow against Indiana. So that would be the only other thing for me aside from the offensive line. Yeah, uh, if there is one reason for optimism um, about that not happening, this gets into our Big Ten recap for the week. Uh, We're going to start with Rutgers. Um, Actually, no. Let's start with Northwestern meeting Purdue 45-17. to 17. Do you guys have anything to say about this at all? Purdue played good for 30 minutes again, and then they remembered they were Purdue, and yeah. Yeah, Nick, do you have anything you want to add? My heart hurts for the Boilermakers. Yeah, well, <laughs> Nick, Nick, Nick get, the, uh, get the sound thing up. Do you have the sound oh, thing up? Damn it, I'm never ready. All right, God, hold on. Give me two it, seconds. Nick, like, you had one job. We literally put talk about the Big Ten on there. There's no need to worry, Purdue, because once the Purdue train comes through, you're going to start fast and finish fast, because that's what Pat and Arduzzi do. Uh, so, yeah, okay, now let's get to Michigan State. Rutgers, Michigan State. Michigan State did what we're, we expected them to do this year. They just went out. They Their offense put up 49 points and 440 yards in a game against a really bad Rutgers team. Like, Rutgers is just bad at everything. And completely smothered the Rutgers offense. Rutgers had 149 yards of total offense, turned the ball over twice. Time of possession was Michigan State 35-37 to Rutgers 24-23. Like, things like this and the fact that the last time that Rutgers won a football game was back in September when it beat the University of New Mexico by nine points, Matt. Like, I just feel really confident going into this one, even though I know Rutgers is going to, the team's going to be up for it. Chris Ash has probably been beating into, like, the psyche of everyone. This is a big game. The crowd is going to be, you know, as loud as that crowd can be, and it's just going to be a really big game for them. It will be, but the problem is Rutgers is just really, really, really bad. Yeah, They've got yeah. something like 300 yards of offense total against Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. Ugh. And 150 of those yards came against Michigan State, who is really struggled on all fats of the game this year. Um, just, And maybe I'm way off here, but the impression I get is Rutgers is just dying to get this year over with. And I know that Penn State's their, their rival. We could care less about them. I know it's an eight o'clock game. I know it's you know their last chance to make any sort of statement this year. But the problem is they're just not very good. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the stats from this week, and they had 40 yards passing. Um, I, don't, I don't know how you do that. I think you luck into like 60 or 70 usually, right? And it's just 
there isn't one part of Rutgers' team where you look at it and you go, that's something that Penn State has to be worried about. If this game was a month ago and you know they were not necessarily playing out the string at that point, then maybe maybe I'd feel differently. But with two games left in the year, um, I, I feel like this is even going to be you know a fifty-fifty crowd at least for Penn State. Yeah. Um, just you know reading reading Twitter and in the message boards and the comments on on our site and everything, it just sounds like Rutgers is just desperate to get through that Maryland game in a week and a half after Thanksgiving and just get to the off season, let Chris Ash have a full, you know, a full off season to work with this program and to continue recruiting and just end 2016 and forget it ever happened. Yeah. Um, I, I'm looking at their uh, football study hall page, uh, Michigan state's football study hall page rather. I mean, their defensive line linebacker and defensive back havoc rate are all below average throughout college football. They're, Defensive S&P, passing S&P Plus is 105th in the nation there. Passing down uh, defensive S&P Plus is 107th in the nation. Like This is just not a good passing defense, and there was nothing that Rutgers could do about it. And Penn State, it's... And they did it without... Malik McDowell didn't even play for Michigan State. Their best player on either side of the ball didn't play. You know, Probably a top 10, top 15 NFL draft pick, maybe. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but... It, by far their best player was out. And so it's not even like they had to deal with, you know, his pass rushing ability or anything like that. It's just, they're, they're not good. No, not at all. Uh, Nick, when you see this game, how, like, what was, let's put it this way. What was your concern for the Rutgers game going into this past weekend? And what is your concern now? Was it zero and My zero? Concern. My concern was that I bet on Rutgers plus fifteen and a half and well, I, lost I'm, that easily. I bet on a school well, that's, scale that's, of one to ten. That's a personal problem. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, uh, I don't concern. I, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't. I mean, I figured Michigan State would win pretty handily. I thought it would be less than fifteen and a half points, but I, I mean, I'm not, not taking any way, anything away from this game at all. I mean, if that's if that's the question, I'm not taking anything away from this for either team. Sure, Michigan State can beat a bad team. They already beat a bad team when they beat Notre Dame this year. Hey-oh! So, uh, Notre yeah. Dame is 4-6. and six. Yeah, I mean, eh. yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, all right. Uh, next up, Nebraska against Minnesota. This was quietly kind of a big game. Uh, the team that won it was going to be 8-2 and two with a 5-2 and two mark in the Big Ten uh, and let me just check something really quickly. And yeah, Minnesota, if they were able to get to that point, they would have had the same record and the same conference record as Wisconsin, which they're going to be playing at the end of the year. So, Nick, like, anything that you – like, how much of this game were you able to watch? Like, do you have any kind of takeaway from it? Uh, didn't watch the second, but I, I can take away that I'm super happy Tommy Armstrong was able to play. That's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome that – he was cleared for this. Um, I did pick Minnesota just because this kind of felt like, I don't know, it with the way Minnesota's just hanging around, it kind of felt like this could be a year they just sneak their way into the Big Ten championship game, just as Kirk Herbstreit predicted at the beginning of the season. But, yeah, I mean, it it looked, I, I watched some highlights, it looked to be a moderately exciting game. So, I don't know, good on the Cornhuskers. Yeah. Good to see Tommy Armstrong back for Nebraska after that 
that looked like a horrible injury against Ohio State the week before. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Go uh, big red. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah, 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 yeah. I, like I have, I feel nothing towards Nebraska. I know a lot of older Penn State fans really hate them, but yeah, like go Nebraska. Oh I guess. my god. Uh, I don't think there's a single team I'm more indifferent about than Nebraska. Right. Like I. I just Minnesota. Like, yeah. Eh. Uh, yeah, I got. I. I <laughs> Well, I mean, at least Nebraska, it's a little bit of like, okay, like college football is a better place than Nebraska is good. Uh, for Minnesota, it's um, – Minnesota being good is – Minnesota just kind of there. Like, yeah. I don't – I, I who's, have – who's, who's got the dilly bar on the sideline today? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let's start getting into some beatdowns. Uh, Wisconsin, Illinois um, – Illinois scored three points in the first quarter, and that's all the points they scored for the rest of the game. Uh, Wisconsin won this one 48-3. Matt, I don't think we really need to talk about Wisconsin. We know what Wisconsin is. I mean, Corey Clement and Dare, I'm not even going to try and do it because I'd get it wrong. I mean, they have some good running backs. They have a good front. All the stuff that we expect out of Minnesota. uh, Wisconsin, sorry, Wisconsin fans. But Illinois, like... Like, what is this program? Like, not what's this team this year. What's this program? Like, what's the hope if you're an Illinois football fan? Well, I, I want to hit on one thing on Wisconsin real quick because I'm a fan. I'm allowed to get really far ahead of myself. But I am terrified of playing the Badgers in the Big Ten Championship game if it comes to that. If Just because I want to get that out there. Um, as far as Illinois, um, yeah, when I was growing up, and I was, you know, obviously, as most of you know, I grew up in Columbus. They were always one of those teams when Ohio State played them that you just always knew it was going to be a tough game. They were never, you're rarely, you know, a great team that was fighting for conference championships and Rose Bowl bursts and things like that. But they were always kind of that eight and four, nine and three kind of team that would always win a couple games every year that kind of caught you, grabbed your attention. And I think they can be that, especially in the Big Ten West, just because there's not really that one dominant program. Maybe Wisconsin is what you would consider that, but they're there. They they should be recruiting Chicago better. They're not too far from St. Louis. They just have totally lost their way with, you know, Ron Zook recruited but didn't turn it into results other than the one year where they upset Ohio State and then got the right to go to the Pasadena and get their butts kicked by, I think it was USC got them that year. Um, they've just kind of gone downhill since then. Obviously, the whole Tim Beckman fiasco and everything that that led to. I think if they're patient with Lovey Smith, which I can't imagine they won't be, yeah. but more importantly, if Lovey Smith has the the stamina to stick with this, knowing now that he's been there for a few months, gone through almost a full season, I really hope they do because now that Tim Beckman's gone, I don't really harbor any ill will towards Illinois. It's one of those teams that I think needs to be better for the Big Ten to be a better overall conference. They're, they're never going to be you know, Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State or you know, Michigan State of the last few years. But they should be a team that wins seven, eight, nine games every year pretty consistently. Maybe once every four or five years they rise up and, and win the, the West Division. But I just they're kind of just toiling in, in, in anonymity right now because they haven't had a direction um, from all directions, their coaching has been a disaster. Their athletic department has been a disaster. The university administration has turned over. And I think, I, I hope that, that Lovey sticks with it because I think he's a good coach and he's a great fit for a, a program like that. Even if he doesn't stay there for five or six years, if he at least 
gets them pointed back the right direction. Um, I think that's good for everyone, but it, man, it's, it's a long road ahead for them. Yeah. Like I, I think that's the really interesting thing. Like Lovey Smith, I'm looking this up right now, but he is, he's 58 years old. He's going to be 59 heading into next season. In the coaching ranks, I guess that's kind of young, but he—I mean—he's been around forever. He's a kind of dude who I can't imagine that he sees this as some kind of a destination job or anything like that, because he is a good coach. He's a guy with a lot of NFL ties. Prior to Illinois, his last stint in college was 1995 when he coached defensive backs at Ohio State. I don't know how patient he is willing to be, especially if maybe an NFL team decides, you know, we're in a pretty rough spot right now. Let's go and get Lovey. Let's get him in to kind of clean things up for us. I do think that if he's able to get a little bit of talent into this program, he can make it work because, again, he's a really good football coach uh, in my mind. But I don't know if – and, Nick, I want to go to you, like – same thing, long-term, what is the goal for Illinois football? Is it Lovey Smith sticks around for a long time and wins them a national championship, or is it, you know, we just want to have a good time? I, honestly, I, I don't know. It's, I feel like if you're Illinois, at least for the short term, your goal ha- has to be just, let's make a bowl game. Like, it, you, you, you can't realistically be thinking about a national championship at this point in time. And I don't think that anyone really expects Lovey Smith to stay around long enough for that to happen because that would take multiple years of recruiting his tail off and getting better talent in there and then coaching his tail off to get that talent ready to go. And I don't think that's feasible for a guy like him. Um, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he necessarily wants to go back to the NFL, but I feel like it has to at least be on the table for him. I mean, if he gets an opportunity, is he really going to say no to an NFL job over the Illinois job? Like, yeah, I I can't I can't see him. I think when he was hired, I think my prediction was no more than three years at maximum, and I'm I think I'm sticking with that. Yeah, I mean that that sounds about as fair as possible to me. Uh, and then let me look this up really quickly. Uh, Minnesota and. Uh, not Minnesota, uh, Nebraska and Wisconsin are currently tied atop the uh, Big Ten West. Minnesota and Iowa and Northwestern are all behind at 4-3, and three, but they both need a little bit of help uh, to potentially get a shot at the conference title. Uh, Wisconsin ends with Purdue going to Purdue and playing Minnesota. Uh, they, Nebraska, they earned a nice, yeah. easy finish to their season. Yes, and Nebraska ends with Maryland in a trip to Iowa. Uh can you guys see a scenario in which any team other like would you guys be surprised if anyone other than Wisconsin represents the East in the uh, conference uh, West in the conference title game? Yes. Really? Yeah. Okay. I I wouldn't be at all surprised if Minnesota loses loses to Northwestern this Saturday, which would I believe clinch it for Wisconsin because that would give Minnesota four losses and they've already well, and Wisconsin has a tiebreaker against everyone else. If, if I'm looking well, at this. well if. If Wisconsin goes 0-2 to end the season and Nebraska goes 2-0, and Nebraska would win just on record, wouldn't they? That's true, yeah, but that's it. Wisconsin could lose to Minnesota. Wisconsin is not losing to Maryland. That's just... Well, well, you said you said theoretically. <laughs> that is true. I, you got me on a technicality, but 
I, I would be I would be shocked. I think Minnesota might beat them, but I I would be surprised if it if it happens. Yeah. Uh, continuing the week in beatdowns, um, Ohio State and Maryland played football against one another, and kind of like Illinois, Maryland scored three points in the in the first quarter, and then just didn't score again. This one ended sixty two to three. Uh, Matt, we put no. We'll start with Nick on this one since you started with the last one in our Big Ten power poll this week. We put Ohio State at number one, even though if they end up beating Michigan, Penn State is going to go to the conference title game, assuming Penn State wins out. But if Penn State and if I mean, no, we won't even do it that way. Is there any team in the Big Ten that you think has a better chance at winning the national title if they were able to get there than Ohio State? Um, I. For me, it would just it would depend on Wilton Spate's injury. If he's healthy, which then in fairness, I, it, according to uh, Jim Harbaugh, he said that any reports of Spate being out for the season are untrue. Of course, that could just be Harbaugh trying to play it close to the vest and not wanting to give anything away. But for now, I guess we have to take him at his word. But yeah, um, I think I think I'd probably still take a fully healthy Michigan over a fully healthy Ohio State. I think, I think I'm not positive, um, but yeah, I mean Ohio State's playing really good football right now. And if um, I know what you just mentioned the power rankings, I mean I think we have to remember power rankings being like the rankings like at that point in time, not necessarily for a whole season or whatnot. And I think it's hard to doubt. I think it's hard to deny that Ohio State's playing the best football in the conference right now. I would also like to point out that I was only a Maryland touchdown off of completely nailing this score prediction. I said 62 to 10 in our preview show. Oh, all right. Yeah. I mean that, that sounds fair, but yeah, Mer- Maryland has kind of fallen off ever since a pretty good start to the year, because as it turns out playing Howard FIU UCF and Purdue to start your season may make you look a little bit better than you actually are. But yeah, the Penn State ran them off. Still beat Michigan State. Still beat Mi- well, Michigan State's not especially good, or at least they haven't <laughs> been especially good. Uh, Penn State ran off the field. Minnesota ran up the score on them. They were in a close one, close crazy one against Indiana. Shocker. Then Michigan and OSU ran them off the field. So uh, I like DJ Dirk, and I think he is a future. Uh, he could end up being a pretty good coach down the line. But yeah, Maryland uh, wouldn't be surprised if they win their last game of the year. But they're uh, they've kind of. But what if they don't? A bit. That'd, well, that'd be something. Well, then they're not going to a bowl game. Uh, but yeah, uh, Matt, kind of the same question to you. Do you think that this Ohio State team right now is the best team in the Big Ten? Oh, I don't have any question about it, especially in Penn State's current makeup with, with the injury questions. <laughs> and I am so happy that we got to play Ohio State in October and not November oh, because yes. Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer in November is the single most terrifying force on this planet. Yeah, you, you you look at I think um, I would buddy... like to wager November. T- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, I I think our our buddies at Eleven Warriors wrote something about this um, leading into the I think it was the Nebraska game, but in the last couple of weeks at least um, about the last you know three years of Urban Meyer's tenure at Ohio State, his October record and what's happened in November coming out of that, and uh, I joke about this, but. Pissed off Urban Meyer is just, I almost hope, I almost, not 100%, the almost is because it would have a, a, a negative impact on Penn State. 
I almost hope that we get to see Urban Meyer against Nick Saban for the national championship because that would just be just two absolute forces of nature colliding yeah. on the biggest stage in the sport. And I, I don't think there's any question that at this point, with maybe the exception of Clemson, that Ohio State and Alabama are the two most talented teams in the country and probably the two best teams. I think Clemson just, for whatever reason, you know, following up success that they had last year is always difficult, as we've seen with Ohio State and Florida State the last two years. But talent-wise, they're on par with those two teams. But from a, te- a quality of team standpoint, I'm not sure with the way each team is playing now, how you argue against those two teams being the best. And, and real quick on Maryland, since since you brought it up briefly with Durkin, I it hurts me to say this because a, a bad Maryland team or an inconsequential Maryland football program is is great because it just gives us all sorts of great internet fodder. <laughs> DJ Durkin is, is going to do something of that program. They're recruiting well. This is not a good team. They've won five games. I know their schedule has, been, has not been good, but they've still won five games. And kind of like we've talked about with James Franklin at Vanderbilt, he's won five games with not a very good roster. And I can see the next two years as, as they continue to get more talent in that program. Um, I, I, let me put it this way. I believe a lot more in DJ Durkin than I do in Chris Ash at this point. I, I mean, I don't think anyone would kind of yell at you for that. Uh, Matt, I also do kind of want to disagree with one thing you said. Um, I don't think, like, you know, uh, I don't think Ohio State and Alabama are, like, clear. I mean, well, I believe Alabama is clearly head and shoulders above everyone else. But Ohio State, I think that them and Louisville are the two teams that have a case for being the second best team in the country because Louisville is just horrifying. Like, we've talked about this a little bit, but if Penn State makes it to the uh, to the playoff, Louisville is one of the teams that they could probably get. Um as long as, you know, the football gods aren't too mean to make them play against Alabama. And I would be kind of scared of that game because, you know, Lamar Jackson is a literal Christian Jesus. But neither here nor there. Um, yeah, so I think it's time that we talk about the big game that happened this weekend. Um, Iowa went I, – Michigan went in to Kinnick and fell to Iowa 14-13. to And, of course, the thing that makes this such a big deal is that – if Michigan, which sounds like they may be down their starting quarterback, is not 100% sure. Uh, MGO blog reported that Wilton Spate's out for the year. Jim Harbaugh said, no, that's not true, even though I mean, I'm inclined to trust MGO blog on this one because Jim Harbaugh, like, he knows there's no value in uh, telling people what's true and not about injuries. Um, so an Ohio State team that's on fire hosts a Michigan team that may be down their starting quarterback if Ohio State wins that game and Penn State wins out, Penn State's going to the Big Ten Championship game. So this may be the single uh, – to decide what is going to happen for the Big Ten up until the final weekend of the year, this is probably the biggest game that's happened. Uh, Matt, how – like, it seems to me like Iowa kind of finally figured out how to use Akram Wadley on offense. Uh, but – what happened in this game? How was Michigan unable to beat an Iowa team that Penn State just dragged last week? I, I honestly I don't know in you know from a specific standpoint, but in a big picture standpoint, um, this is Michigan's first true actual road test with apologies to Rutgers and you know Michigan State, you know the rivalry game, but really it's the, first, the first time they've faced any sort of adversity all year. And um, they just 
didn't play well. Um, they had what just a hair over 200 yards of offense. Um, Spate was banged up, you know, for most of the part of the game that I saw. And you know, who knows when this alleged, you know, whether it, it truly is a broken collarbone or whatever the injury is. Um, whether it was on that last play when he threw the uh, the incompletion, but it just as I look at this and I think about it, I think a lot of it is Iowa does a lot of what Michigan does offensively. So I, it was kind of like a clash of, of two similar styles. They don't run, they don't spread the ball, the field out. They don't go tempo. They don't, you know, try and beat you with big flashy plays. They just kind of line up across from you and try and try and beat you up at the, the line of scrimmage. And they did. Um, and I think that the, the big thing, they only scored 14 points. It's not like they ran up and down the field on Michigan. It's not really like, you know, they didn't dominate the game by any means, but they slowed down Michigan's offense, the tune of like 200 some yards, 250 yards or something below their season average. And I think a big part of that is Michigan is like Iowa. They don't do a whole lot that's different than what Iowa sees every day in practice. And they they slowed down Michigan enough to give their offense a chance, um, which is really all you're looking for. And you know, Penn State fans know all too well what happens. Um, you win November in a close game in a road environment. You know, against a Iowa's not a bad team. I think. Yeah. You know, they're they're not they're certainly not great. They're not where they were last year, but it's not like this is a you know three and seven team that you know upset the number two team in the country. It's a decent you know eight and four kind of team that. Uh, you know, got got a big win against the team they match up well against, um, and I think you know, the biggest question for Michigan outside of their quarterback situation now is what do they do when they go into a much tougher road environment? It's not going to be a, an eight o'clock kickoff, but you know, it doesn't matter when when or where you play Ohio State, Michigan. That's a, a, a intense environment, and being in Columbus, and they're going to be challenged like they haven't been challenged all year from a, a talent standpoint. That's a, a huge question, and I. If I'm Jim Harbaugh, I'm, I'm worried about how, how that all plays out at this point based on, on how my team responded in a tough environment yeah, for Nick, the first time. Yeah, Nick, the thing that I've been so intrigued by with this Michigan team is that it seems like it is at its best when opposing teams are uncomfortable with the fact that they want to play man ball. They want to be strong. They want to throw a fullback in there. Uh, they want to just try and win the game physically. And you go back and look, well, the teams that have come closest this year to beating Michigan have been Wisconsin, which lost by seven, and Michigan State, which lost by nine. All that That's a bit of a fluky final score. Those are teams that want to play a physical football game, and both of those games were – we're in places that weren't as scary as going to Kinnick at night. So when you see this, does all of this kind of give you some concern that if Michigan has to play, it's let's say Michigan is able to get by Ohio state. Let's say Michigan's able to get to the playoff. Do you have some concerns now about Michigan's ability to beat a team like say Alabama? I think so. Definitely. I mean, I, even before this, I had concerns about Michigan's ability to beat Alabama. Um, real quick, I will say, though, the, I wouldn't say the Michigan State game was too fluky. Michigan State played, played really well in that game. They outplayed Michigan for a chunk well, of time. Yeah, there. I was so, going to say, I meant I how like, it ended on, you know, Michigan State had the potential to make it, you know, it was going to look like it ended a one-possession game. It ended, it ended a two-possession yeah, 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 game right. because Jabril Peppers did a Jabril Peppers thing, and Mark D'Antonio made uh, an, an interesting decision to go for two. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think my concerns more now are just uh, exponentially larger after seeing Michigan struggle with Iowa. Um, I always thought Alabama was a bad matchup for Michigan, but now it, I mean, we, I, it'll be kind of hard, hard to see because we won't really get a, I mean, we'll, well, actually, I have to take it back. We'll get to, we'll get a really good chance to see Michigan on the road again because we'll see him play Ohio State. So this team has gotten so used to playing at home, I feel like, that maybe, maybe being on the road just is not super comfortable for them. And it seems like against Iowa, the exact thing that you said where they just try to make teams uncomfortable, it was reversed on them. And they did not look comfortable at all in that game at any point. And again, we don't know the extent of Spate's injury during the game, but we do know that they could not run the ball at all. They had 98 total rushing yards, but they had, took them 35 carries to do it. Um, Spade only was able to throw for 103 yards. So I, I think it's fair to say that this Michigan team is not one that seems to be super comfortable on the road against solid to good teams. I'd also like to add that I really hope this goes down as Michigan's 6-4 type game. And that both of these quarterbacks had a quarterback rating of under ten point five. Yeah, give me a sec. I have to, I have to look this up because I really do not want to get this wrong because of how impressive it was. But I was at a concert on uh, Saturday night and I was following everything around on my phone. And C.J. At- Beathard was eight of nineteen. Yeah, with sixty-six yards. yards. But <laughs> Iowa in this game had at one time or another. 2 points, 8 points, 11 points, and 14 points, which is so stupid. That is so amazing and so stupid. And everything that I love about college football, just teams putting up weird amounts of points that just don't make any sense. But they managed to score score on a safety. They scored a touchdown, then went for two and didn't get it, and then they kicked a field goal. Can, can 27, I read it? 27 of their 66 receiving yards came on an Akron Wadley screen pass. Yeah. <laughs> Ramsey had had a beautiful tweet during the game. Iowa had a deuce, passed up a fiver in favor of an Ocho, and now has an 11er. Yeah. It's peak Iowa again <laughs> and again and again and again. And they won. They <laughs> somehow managed to win, like, just this horrifically ugly football game, again, against a top-two team, one week after going into Happy Valley and losing 41-14 to to Penn State in a game where Brandon Bell was literally going up to the line of scrimmage patting his defensive lineman on the backsides and going, hey guys, they're going to run the ball this way now. So this is, like, I don't know if it was Michigan playing poorly or just Iowa playing on fire or, and I'm going to say this and I'm going to try and suppress a laugh as I say it, Kirk Ferentz game planning for this game really well. But, (laughs) yeah, but... He's playing the long con. They They threw the Penn State game. It was a long con. Yeah, but... (laughs) <laughs> credit seriously to Iowa for winning this one and putting a pretty serious monkey wrench in the Big Ten to the point that now, and Matt, I'll start with you, ESPN's numbers say that Penn State is the favorite to win the Big Ten East. Do you agree with that? Because to me, it seems like the scenario that we're hurtling towards at a 1,000 miles an hour is Penn State going to Indianapolis. I don't think there's any question that they're the favorite because they're going to, they're what, a 27, 28 point favorite against Rutgers this weekend. And they're going to be probably a double digit favorite against Michigan State in two weeks. Let me pull this up. And uh, according to. I'm really. Oh, go ahead, Nick. 
I was gonna say, I'm really excited for our Michigan State preview podcast. A, because I think we're going to try to get Ty Hilton Brent back on. And B, because I want to discuss all the possible ways that we can get Joey Julius' touchdown to make up for the Jack Allen touchdown. Yeah. I, um, so according to, uh, to uh, S&P Plus, Penn State's projected margin of victory over Rutgers is 29.9 points, and Michigan State is 19.3 points, which that second was absurd for reasons that um, kind of anyone who uh, knew anything about college football going into this season should be able to figure out pretty easily. But, yeah, if those two things happen, and there is a good chance that Penn State's going to go into that Michigan State game knowing whether or not it is a shot at winning the Big Ten if that game kicks off. I mean, if it kicks off at 3.30 p.m., that's going to be the case. Like I, I can't uh, imagine that ESPN or the Big Ten is going to want that game to those two games to go going on at the same time yeah. with everything that's going to be at stake. They're going to yeah. want people watching both. Yeah, I mean, and Michigan State's they're not the kind of team that's going to say we're just going to roll over because this game doesn't mean anything to us, even if you know by some crazy situation they lose to Ohio State this week, which. Yeah, they're probably going to lose to Ohio State this week. They're going to come out against Penn State, and they're going to fight, and they're going to give everything they can in that game. And it's not—it's going to be a hard game for Penn State, but if there's one thing we know about this Penn State team, it's that it wants to fight just as bad as a team like Michigan State wants to, and it may have the added motivation of a Big Ten championship is within grasp. So, Nick, the same question to you. Like, do you think that we are, like, just what does your gut say? Is Penn State going to end up winning the Big Ten East? I Yeah, I'd have to say yes. I feel really confident that Ohio State is going to beat Michigan, and I feel pretty terrifyingly confident that Penn State is going to beat Rutgers and Michigan State. So, yeah, and boy, that's weird. Yeah. I mean, it's unfamiliar. Yeah, we were not sure how I feel about it. I don't know how many times we've said this on the pod and on the site and all that, but we've said that Penn State, it's seemed like coming into this year that everything was going to, everything done this year was being done so that the team could be in a position to maybe be in this spot next year. Instead, it's Penn State in this spot this year. So... This is just weird. It's great. I kind of it's yeah. kind of synonymous to when Ohio State won the playoff two years ago. That team was not supposed to be the playoff team. That was supposed to team. That was supposed to be the team that gets ready for the playoff team the next year. And I'm not saying we're as good. Yeah. I'm not saying we're as good as that team. I'm just saying this. The kind of the aura around the team is similar. The situation yeah. is similar. Certainly some some symmetry there. I was going to say, just like we're legally required to shout out Crimson Corey and Rob Bolden on every episode of the podcast, um, I am legally required anytime someone brings that up to mention that there was a time when Ohio State was, uh, I believe, 40-1 to 1 to win the national championship after Braxton Miller went down, and I said, hey, Matt, should I put some money on that? And he said no. So um, thanks, mm. Matt, for... That's that's your money. fault for listening to See, me, though. You Let's say be this every single time, but I've literally never put money on anything in my life. So yeah, uh, yeah, I'm. But you, you literally, you've literally never trusted me in your entire life, other than that one specific instance. So, really, this is a you problem. I suppose. I suppose. 
so yeah, like I'm. Last question. Let's say Penn State is able to make it, and Penn State takes on, uh, we'll say Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. We'll talk about this a little bit more down the road if that ends up happening. But what do you think would go down if that occurred? And we'll start with Matt, I guess. Stupid Pain. It, you know, not to get too technical, but I think it all depends on what Penn State's offensive line situation is. Because that's really the strength of Wisconsin's team is their defense. And if we're going up against their defensive front with Ryan Bates, Steven Gonzalez, Brian Gaia, Derek Dowry, and Chaz Wright across the offensive line, then that's not good against that team. Uh, Matt, can you unplug it? Can both of you please unplug and replug your microphones, please? Okay, that sounds better. Since it doesn't sound like I'm about to explode. Very good. <laughs> um, well, I was just saying that I, though the the technical part is what's Penn State's offensive line, but I think it's it's going to be one of those. You know, I can't remember the score of the the uh, Wisconsin Ohio State game, but I know the, the Michigan Wisconsin game was fourteen seven. It's going to be one of those. You know, twenty to it would it would be one of those twenty to, to sixteen twenty three twenty kind of games, and a lot of hard hitting play in the trenches and probably whoever makes the first mistake kind of loses. But like I said earlier, I, I don't want any part of Wisconsin in, in a big picture kind of way, because I don't think it's a great matchup for Penn state, yeah. but I'm not going to turn it a, tri- a trip to the big 10 championship game either, because I'm afraid of what might happen. You know, the, the way this season's played out, I don't think we really have any, any clue what might happen. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what do you think would go down? Uh, I think I, I kind of like the scenarios that Matt laid out. I think it would be a hard-hitting game. It would be probably not the prettiest game to watch. Um, I I don't I agree that it's not a great matchup for Penn State, but I also wouldn't feel too. I I would feel okay about it going in. I mean, I think that I don't know. Maybe maybe it would just be the like the euphoria of being in the Big Ten championship game, but I don't know. I think I'd feel okay about Penn State's chances against Wisconsin. Plus, I would, while it's obviously not the easiest matchup they could face in that game, a win over Wisconsin would, I think, almost certainly put, like, almost all but assure Penn State a spot in the playoff because that's just another top ten win you've got there. So, while Ohio State will absolutely have a really strong case to make, I think that's another way the Big Ten could get two teams in, potentially. So, I I like the prospect of playing, playing Wisconsin personally. Yeah, I've one thing that I've really tried uh, to preach is that uh, I'm worried about teams like Oklahoma coming down this final stretch because I think this committee, the way they view it, is a lot of it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Uh, so Oklahoma would end with a road win over TCU and. A uh, game in which it scored 66 points against Texas Tech, and beating Baylor, going to West Virginia and winning, and beating Oklahoma State in a row, and that's really impressive, and that's something that I think could potentially propel them above uh, some other teams that are in the playoff hunt. But Penn State, if Penn State is able to win, it will end its season with a win over a solid Minnesota team, a win over Ohio State, a win over a solid Indiana team, a win over a solid Iowa team. And then beating Wisconsin in the conference title game. So there are there's still a lot that needs to happen. Um, we are 
go state. Uh, yeah, well, that, but we're also hurtling towards a scenario that no one thought was going to happen. And this heading into the unknown is fun. And the season almost feels like, you know, the rest of it is gravy because it could happen. Like, this could happen. And the fact that we're even here is really cool. So, I'm pretty happy. Uh, you guys pretty happy? Yeah. I am I'm thrilled. Yeah. All right. So, I think this is as good of a time as any to end this edition of the podcast. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Subscribe. iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud. Nick wanted me to give a shout-out to everyone who has given us a review on iTunes. We read them all. We appreciate them all. Uh, please hop on in there and do it yourself. We would love to see see more of those and see ways that we can get better. Uh, like us on our various social media platforms. Keep reading the site. Buy some shirts. We may have some stuff coming in the pipeline. We're not 100% sure yet. But, yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of reasons for optimism around uh, Penn State football. Uh, as always, again, thank you for listening to this edition of the pod. For Nick Pollock, for Matt DeBear, I am Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Produce he lives.